I think at first it feels better and then it just becomes something that you do and you stand for. So like, it feels really good when you do it and Mm -hmm. you realize like, Hey, I made this shift. Like, that's awesome. And then reflecting back is also really good. Cause you know, five years out, it's like, man, like think about how many plastic water bottles, like we prevented from going into the ocean or the, the waste dump or, you know, how many plastic bags, like what kind of impact is that? You know, just to postulate that, like, Oh, that kind of feels good. But I think more importantly, the good feelings that happen on a day to day is that this becomes a principle that you live by. It becomes something that you stand for. And I think that's probably the greatest feeling of all. You know, I think leadership, like leadership is about just doing something, not so much about boasting about it. Conversations are going to happen. People ask me about being a Paralympian and what's that like and what does it take and this, that, and the other thing. But I became a Paralympian because I decided to. I became a Paralympian not for the acknowledgement. I did it for myself. It's the same thing with the bags. Now that I'm consciously aware, it's something I stand for. And it's easy to stand for that. It's easy to stand for something so pure because it's just the right thing to do. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you. Hear their struggles. And then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. Tanner clearly has just as much fun in the second conversation as he did the first one. And not just the fun of the conversation, but talking about what he did. He went beyond just modest-sized changes. You hear he's already getting into leading people right away. It's about responsibility. It's about people changing or not. I mean, he does, but not everyone does. You get to hear about his fearlessness, living how he wants as a leader, independent of social norms. Yeah, independent of social norms, because you'll hear some of his anecdotes. And then you'll get to hear him talk about his mental process of how he takes responsibility and prefers taking responsibility. He prefers the accountability. That's the sign of a leader, one of the signs. He clearly likes the change. He likes taking up these things, making them his projects. He was waiting for the chances to do them. So it's really great to listen to someone who's got something on his mind that now this is just his chance to act on it. So here's Tanner. What I've been doing lately is what I now am calling the Spodek technique, which is to start the recording immediately with no chatting beforehand so that the listeners get everything. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's get everything. <laughs> I'm curious. So I want to jump into the personal challenge. Yes. The personal challenge for me was to, through leadership, reduce my carbon footprint on the world. And we haven't talked about this before, so I'm totally going off memory of like a month. But is the, to be a leader in terms of reducing my carbon footprint and the behavior that I am trying to change is to stop using plastic grocery bags and get reusable bags instead. On top of that, I committed to, as I live in an apartment complex here in Phoenix, that to reach out to my property manager and hopefully get the community involved to change, to create a cascade of people reducing their carbon footprints. So that was the challenge. Yeah, I would clarify that using less bags would be reducing pollution and litter, not necessarily carbon things. So, because I want to distinguish global warming from pollution and resource depletion. So these are all environment, but slightly different. No, thank you for the clarification. You're the leader in the space. I appreciate that. So that was the challenge. And so I'm curious, I want to go in a couple steps of like, how did it go? What happened? Well, what happened was, is that, you know, it like any behavior change, sometimes it takes a little bit longer to get started than usual. But I eventually got the bags. It took me about two weeks. And I was anticipating to get them like within days. So it took me about to get the bags. And then reaching out to my property manager was kind of interesting we had a conversation. We had kind of like a 20 minute conversation about it. I was sharing with her 
with her what I'm doing. And she immediately says, oh, well, like I already do that. And I was like, oh, that's great. So you, you probably, I mean, if you're doing it and I'm committing to doing it, then, you know, what do you think about getting the community involved? And, you know, can we do that by maybe putting up a flyer or how can we communicate this message? Uh-huh. And she says, well, you know, we did incorporate, you know, she was just sidestepping around the issue and maybe I didn't sell or close the deal well enough, but it didn't turn out successful in terms of getting a flyer up. But what we did negotiate was, is that we have the bank of mailboxes for the entire complex is in one area and right by there is a trash can for junk mail uh-huh. and or that at least that's what people typically use it for what I've seen uh, what we use it for and what my wife has seen other people use it for so we came up with the idea two things one because the large recycling bin fills up so quickly to get to apply to get a second recycling bin it actually fills up quicker than the trash bin and then two is to get a smaller recycling bin to put it next to the mail garbage can so people can then instead recycle that paper uh, rather than throwing it away. I have to tip my hat because I tried to, well, I have a co-op board and I made no headway with them. I was like a little while ago, we hired or put on, there's an extra person workday for our porter because we have more deliveries than ever. And someone has to handle all the boxes that get delivered. And then there's more, as a result, there's more garbage and recycling. So we had to hire people to do that. And I'm like, I don't want to pay. I don't get more packaging. I have less packaging than ever. So I was like, I don't want to pay for that. I didn't didn't say it like that. I wasn't like all (laughs) exasperated. I tried to be a little more effective. And they're like, no, that's just the 21st century. The way it is now is people have more garbage. And I'm like, I don't want to pay for other people's stuff. And we should motivate. I think we should set up the incentives, not so that people get reimbursed for wasting more than me. We should have it set up so that they pay for it. Right. But it didn't go anywhere. I mean, I tried to be polite and they were just like, no, that's just the way it is. We have to accept that that's the way I got, I want to send, I made a video a little while ago. The last time I threw out my garbage, which was six months worth of garbage was like one bag. Wow. And I got to send that to the, the head of the co-op board. I don't think it's going to change anything. I think he's probably going to look at it and get mad at me. Right. So yeah, this is all to say, I'm impressed that you did this, that you made headway at all compared to what worked with me, which is now I feel terrible. I don't feel terrible. I mean, I wish I'd, maybe I should read, I should put effort back into it. Well, maybe you could, you know, just offer the idea of like, hey, why don't we just put a recycling bin right here? Is that going to hurt anything? Oh, there, it's, I mean, we have recycling in the basement and that gets filled up. You know, hiring people, like I have to pay for that. I'm paying for other. Right. Yeah, I, I don't like it. It's like when I go to a restaurant and I get almost nothing to eat and everyone else is like filling up and then they go around like, all right, everyone pay your share. And I'm like, oh man, <laughs> like, I don't want to be the guy who's like, I ate less. I only want to pay less amount, but I also don't want to pay for, you know, I had like one appetizer and then they had a full course plus drinks. Right. And now I'm paying like 20 bucks for $4 appetizer. Right. And if I say something, it's like, oh, Josh, like, I don't want to be the guy who's like small-minded. Well, right. It makes me think of the, you know, when by you sending the same, the video to the co-op director or the manager or the head and the same thing going on with people at the restaurant is that, you know, that behavior, like you taking responsibility for yourself and suggesting that you cover what you do makes them kind of self-conscious about what they've done or their behavior, or their lack of ability to change. I don't think they even get that far. I think that they, they're not aware that they have a choice in what they're doing, and they don't want to be aware of that. Yeah. And if they did become aware of it, then they would start feeling responsible or something like that. And I think that they're not getting that far. I think that they, they don't want to be awake. <laughs> just go through the motions. Just, yeah. uh, just ambient, just double down on the ambient. And uh, go through the motions. I mean, that, that describes a lot of people. So <laughs> you also mentioned the bags. So you, what was the deal with the bags? You wanted to not use disposable bags. Right. And so you wanted to get, I guess, canvas bags. Yeah. So the thing about the bags for me is, and you helped me realize this, like, it's like, I know that plastics don't like decompose, right? So they just build yeah. up. But it's the, the awareness 
of that. Like those people know that they're eating appetizers, the full course meal. They ordered two drinks each. Like they know that, but they're just not like they're conscious of it. They're just not aware, consciously aware of it. And so it was like, oh, like this is a simple change that I can do that may not make a difference in a week, probably not in a month either, you know, even a year. But it's more about the long term, the accumulative impact. But and even I think more importantly than that is having the conversations that are going to happen over that week, that month, that year, having the impact, the ripple effect upon possibly creating behavior change in other people around me, you know, lead by example and monkey see monkey do. And well, why are you doing that? Well, I'm doing that because, you know, plastics don't do great. And if this is all I got to do is just bring bags with me and it has a profound impact on the world, you know, maybe my impact isn't, but if you do it and someone else does it and we all start to do it, that's huge. And it's just one thing. Like, I think we talked about this though, plastic water bottles. Like we don't buy plastic water bottles. We always have a bottle. We always have bottles that we bring with us. And that's a small step. Sometimes it could be inconvenient. But it's a step that adds up to a big thing over time. I'm really glad that you said that because so many people, they say, yeah, I do these little things and the little things add up. And I agree that little things do add up, but that's small compared to if you take responsibility for the little things, then you start taking responsibility for the medium things. And then next thing you know, the big things aren't so hard for you to handle. And the effect, the ripple effect that you described is really, that's a bigger thing is that you start by changing your behavior and then other people start following. And I haven't had that many second interviews yet, but one of the big challenges that people are facing with the second interviews that I've had so far is other people. When they think of themselves, they think, oh yeah, I can handle this. Okay. Some of them are not able to handle it, but the ones who are able to handle it sometimes, like one guy was going to not do air conditioning. And then when his wife was, no, that's not going to happen. We're going to use air conditioning. And it's a cultural shift. That's what it means to change a cultural value or to change it's like the, the mental models, the beliefs that we have as a, as a society, they were fine as long as we lived in a world where if we trash some place, we can just move to another place or right. the atmosphere is so big that we will never really affect it on a global level. The smog will just eventually, the wind will blow it away and it's gone, gone forever. And now that we have the population we do and we're in we're covering the planet as we do. It blows from one place to another place where also people are. You know, I think people um, don't realize like the exponential returns that these small things have. You know, like it makes me think about this is kind of like a, a multi-layered thing that I'm going to try to dissect in the most concise and clear way possible is that it makes me kind of think about obesity, mm-hmm. right? And so just by me and my wife bringing water bottles everywhere, reusable water bottles everywhere, you know, you might get the question that, oh, so you're healthy, you like you like to stay healthy. And it's like, well, that yes, but that's not what this water bottle is about. Like drinking water is great, you know, it promotes health and longevity, but this represents minimizing garbage and waste. This minimizes the damaging effects that plastic has on our environment. And then to speaking to your thing about the small things and then they're able to take on bigger things in the world, you know, like People who are obese, when my wife, you know, says, like, we're having a conversation, I'll say, well, are they overweight? Are they really heavy? Mm -hmm. And she'll, you know, say yes or no. And she goes, why does that matter? And I was like, because it's such a small thing, right? But it reflects how out of control or unable to have discipline in every other area of their life, right? Like, you make the conscious choice to eat how you eat, and then you have these downstream effects because of it, right? These health benefits, these longevity benefits, you feel good, probably better sustained injury, you know, you're able to function at a higher level cognitively. And that all stems from a choice that you're making about the environment. Like humans are like, so like self-destructive, but when it comes to about like a nonprofit work or whatever, like people would go so far to help someone else. And so if someone is like, oh, like maybe I could start using these water bottles I could start carrying a water bottle and reduce my impact. And by doing so, maybe they drink less soda. Maybe they drink less whatever sugary drink and they drink more water. And then they have like, you know, better health benefits because of it. So, you know, I think that what I said was really confusing. But what I'm trying to say is 
is in line with what you're saying is that taking care of these small things really has a bigger impact overall. If you choose to act on it. Yeah. If you don't, yeah, you can see it and also say, ah, whatever, or it's too much work. And then if you feel it's too much work, you won't do it. I think that to me, the biggest connection between how we treat the earth and obesity is the decision matrix in our mind is like, this is easy and in the short term pleasurable. The other thing is not as easy right now, but it's in the long term more rewarding. And they choose like the, the comfortable and convenient thing. And I think the result is in one regard, it's a planet full of waste and the other side, it's a body full of waste. Yeah. And I think that like a lot of people don't realize the joy, like, well, I want to ask you, all right, we talked about what you've done, but I'm also curious about how it felt, but I want to come on a couple other things first is uh, the conversations that you had. Can you share, you talked about like some of the things that you said, what was it like when you talked to people about the bottles or about choices that you make? Are you seeing the influence that you're talking about? So, I mean, immediately, right? The first time you use the bags, it, it starts a conversation, right? With the person that's checking you out. At the market, you mean? Yeah, at, or any store, uh-huh. you know, is that any and every store, right? So especially if you're doing it at a non, if it's not at a grocery store, you know, if you're doing that and you're buying retail goods and you bust out the canvas bags, uh-huh. mind blown. Right. At least that's what it seems like to them. Whoa, whoa, that's so cool. Why are you doing that? Well, I'm doing that to, you know, to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, wow, that's really cool. Where did you get them? How much were they? How, you know, they're like, yeah. And then you can start to reinforce, you know, the benefits of it. It's like, yeah, you know, it's an easy thing to do. Right. It's just something that you just start to do. It's like tying your shoes. Right. Like we all got to put on our shoes, but just taking that extra step of tying the shoes, bringing the bags makes a big difference. Was it hard at first or did it, did it get easier with time or had you made that shift already? Honestly, there was the initial like, oh, I'm breaking a social norm here. And so there was that kind of uncomfortable at first, but you know, like any fear or any comfort, you know, stepping outside your comfort zone, you get better with reps. I'm trying to make this as accessible as possible for listeners. Cause I think my target audience on this is people who want to change, but haven't. And I think hearing what you just said is important because a lot of people they think, I don't want to be weird. Right. I mean, we're all so weird already. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, but everyone thinks that everyone else is normal and they're weird and they don't want to be any more weird. So you're saying you're breaking a social norm, but you've broken a lot of social norms. Is it something oh. for someone who hasn't trained and hasn't done the reps that you have? Do you remember the first couple of times you would break social norms? Well, yeah. I mean, probably the most distincting one that was like really uncomfortable uh, even for my wife, is I'll never forget. We were at a marketing conference in Vegas in 2011. It was I'll never forget it because it was the weekend that the SEALs were sent in to get Osama bin Laden, uh-huh. and we're flying home. And this is ahead of my first track meet. And for people who don't know, I'm a U.S. Paralympian in track and field, and I lost my sight back in 2004. Found out about sports for the blind and Paralympic sports later, years later. And so I'm training for, I'm dead set, I'm dead committed to becoming a U.S. Paralympian, do whatever it takes. And to the point where I don't care what other people think. And we're at the airport and I really, it hits me. It was like this nonstop at this conference, just nonstop. I'm exhausted at the end of the day, get up early, you know, go to bed, just exhausted. And then like, I'm so tired. I'm in the airport and I'm like, I've been here three days and I haven't done anything for fitness. Mm-hmm. And I told my wife, I said, and I brought them with me with the intention to use them. I, said, I told my wife, I said, get out the bands. She's like, what? I was like, get out the resistance bands. Uh-huh. I'm going to work out. And she goes, no, don't work out here. And I'm like, why? And she goes, because people are going to stare at you. They're going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, those people, those people aren't going to be Paralympians. I, I was just thinking, they're going to stare at a Paralympic athlete. That's, who wouldn't want to see that? Exactly. And so I do, I bust out the bands, 20 minute workout. And, you know, and for everybody that doesn't know, like I'm totally blind. So it's just blackness, no vision, no nothing, no light, no shadows, nothing, just blackness. And, and I do my workout and 
you know, I get done and I tell Rosa, Hey, I'm done. She comes and gets me. And she goes, Oh my God, Tanner, so many people were looking at you. It was really uncomfortable. I was like, really? And she goes, yeah, one person even came up to me and said, what's his deal? What's he doing? And I told him, I said, he's going to be a Paralympian. I said, see, that is the difference. When you've moved beyond the idea of caring about what other people think, where your mission, your purpose, your why, the reason why you're doing something is more important than what somebody else thinks or cares or says. I mean, those people, if they were really making a difference in their own life, if they were being leaders in their own life, they would have probably been maximizing the time that they were waiting for their flight to take off by reading a book, by working on their computer, by writing a book, by doing something that was requiring their attention that they wouldn't have the time to stare while someone's improving their fitness. You know, so, you know, and I mean, there's been other times too. I mean, like, you know, when I first lost my sight, you know, I had to go around town with an IV pole. I had four hours of mandatory IV medications every day. And then when you have doctor's appointments, you know, back to back to back all the time, you know, you're in town walking around with an IV pole. And I remember, (laughs) I remember my mom and I went to this movie and I had my IV pole and I go to the person behind me. I'm mad. Bag of bones. I go to the person behind me and say, Hey, is this okay? Is this going to block your vision? Is this okay if this stands here? Uh What are you going to say to somebody (laughs) who has an IV pole? It's like, man, I'm I'm just glad you're here. You know, like, so, you know, breaking social norms is something that a change agent does. It's something that a leader is not afraid to do. And again, it gets down to that why, that reason, the purpose being greater than what someone thinks, says, or believes. Because my friend says the quote all the time, like, you know, people who aren't doing things or something like you go something like people who aren't doing things or aren't trying to accomplish things shouldn't get in the way of the people who are. <laughs> so when you did the like working out in the airport, was that the first or had you developed the skill over time? Like, did you start with something huge and big or did you build up to that from other things or? I mean, well, like I described the IV pole. Uh You know, like I'm wearing an eye patch right now. So I use that, you know, a good chunk of my left forehead's an implant. My left cheek is an implant. We've got skin grafts over my left eye. I used to literally have bones sticking out of my face. And I would walk around town with no eye patch on. I would just walk around town like that. Uh Uh, And it took a while to get comfortable. I know that many places I go, people stare. You know, I know that because my wife tells me all the time. I know that because of the situation in which I'm living in the circumstance that, you know, people are going to say things, people are going to think things. Sometimes it's behind the back. Sometimes they just come up and say it right straight to my face. And so, yeah, I have kind of built up a thicker skin with that regard, but it's human instinct. Like, you know, like I, I just said, even though like all these things that I've done, like I was still kind of uncomfortable using the bags the first time. Cause we don't want to be weird, but I know that you committed to not flying. So I'm walking through the airport not too long ago, thinking about people who are being weird. I'm walking through the airport, right? I've got the the representative from the airport helping me from the ticket counter to the gate, right? We just walked through security. And some girl, young girl, maybe late teens, early 20s, bumps into me hardcore. And she goes, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I was like, it's okay. You know, I've got my white cane out in front of me, you know, like, anybody's paying attention they saw me and the sky cap says people on their cell phones i was like oh my god just head down you know chin to chest in the cell phone Mm -hmm. and if we were doing that 10 years ago 20 years ago we'd be so weird but that's okay it's okay now imagine someone in 1985 walking through an airport and they're just not looking at anything just instead they're reading the newspaper or the book then that would be weird yeah that would be weird. But today it's okay because everybody's doing it. I have a, an agenda here. I want to take away the option for people to say, oh, it's easy for him. He's blind. He was forced into a situation that he had to go through something. And if I had something like that, then I would also have gone through such a situation. I have, yeah. but I don't, he's lucky. You know, in leadership, it's like, I think a lot of people, and this is me in the past, would say, yeah, if I were born under apartheid, I would have done something like uh, Mandela. But you right. can't blame me that I was born in a place without apartheid. And so, you know, I didn't have a big crucible to go through. So you can't blame me that I didn't rise to the level of him. 
for me, I discovered that that's an excuse. Totally. It's a cop out. So what's the alternative? I mean, someone could say, well, yeah, for you, you didn't have a choice. The alternative is just to decide. You know, some people, I think it was a very viral video years ago. I don't even know how many years ago, where it's like the crazy man dancing on the side of the hill. Yeah, that um, Seth Godin uses for his TED Talk, I think. It's just one dude dancing. And he's dancing, you know, he's not in healthy shape. You know, he's it's not coordinated. Yeah. Not coordinated, fat shaking everywhere. And people are just kind of like staring and laughing and, and, you know, pointing. And then one person joins in and then another person and another person and another person. And then soon he's just part of the crowd. So, you know, you still have to decide, like you just decide and you say, Hey, I'm going to make this a non-negotiable. This is more important. I think when people, you know, you have to become aware of the thing that you want to change. Like if you're 800 pounds, but you're not experiencing the side effects of what 800 pounds feels like, then what's your incentive to change? For me, I can visualize like years and years and years of plastic built up. And, you know, just going through the stats, I'm sure you know, you know, some of them off the top of your head, like how much marine life dies because of, you know, plastics and garbage, you know, how much pollution and waste buildup do we have every year because of plastic water bottles and because of plastic bags, like just those things alone, not to mention, you know, the greenhouse gas emissions because to produce them, you know, or to ship them. All right. So now I got a challenging question for you. If you care about this so much, and you just have to decide, how come you didn't do it before? Because I wasn't aware. Oh, okay. So tell me more about that. What, like? So that's what I'm saying, consciously aware. Like until we started having that conversation, it was just like, oh, like, oh, like it just makes sense. It's just, a, it's a simple behavior change. It's a simple thing that I have to do. And that's what I meant. Like when, as, as humans, we're so much more likely to help someone else, another group, a thing in need. Like what other better thing in need is the planet? Like that affects right now and growing 7 billion people, right? So playing to the emotion of what humans are likely to do, community-oriented species that wants to support each other inherently. I mean, yeah, there's sociopaths. And then, but so that need or that desire, that internal feel good, those endorphins and serotonin, dopamine that we get from, you know, doing something for somebody else on top of the conscious awareness of how our behavior is contributing to a problem that's destructive for 7 billion plus people and growing. To me, that's what clicked for me. It was like, and you know, I'm not going to be perfect. I think being okay with that is huge, right? But just being, becoming consciously aware that this is important. And it's just something so simple. Like, even if I don't do that, will it have an impact? I think that's, if I continue to use, or if I started using again, plastic water bottles or using plastic bags at the grocery store or not recycling my stuff, like, is it going to be a problem that I suffer from? Well, yeah, it is. I won't be consciously aware of it though, because somebody takes that garbage somewhere else. I don't see what had to happen before I got the water bottles and the plastic, the plastic bags. I don't see what happened before. I don't see what happens after. I out of sight, out of mind. But when you think about when you make yourself consciously aware of everything that happens before, everything that happens after, and all of that nastiness, how it affects our environment over time, and not just our environment, but the people that live within it. That was the switch for me. So that switch, it, like if you didn't do it, you wouldn't lose. You just wouldn't be aware. Correct. I think some people might be worried. I keep saying some people, like I can think of myself before I learned how much pollution a flight caused. I could have gone on the internet. I could have researched it. It's there. No problem. It kind of fell into my lap because I was watching a documentary and it, it was on there while I was on a flight, but I could have looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I didn't want to look it up because I kind of knew the answer was probably not what I wanted to hear, knowing that I wanted to keep traveling. Sure. And so I think a lot of people would rather not know. If they're listening to us right now, they do want to know, but they haven't acted on it or they're, you know, they're looking to us for motivation or something like that. Is what you're getting, you definitely lose something. You got to carry bags around. You did have to go through, you know, there's a cost, undeniably. You talk about the benefit, but the benefit could be worse than blissful ignorance. You've gone through it. And so I'm reading from you that you're glad you did it and there's no going back. 
what would you say to someone who's not sure if they want to find out if they, you know, they know the blissful ignorance? Yeah. I mean, stop living your life like an ostrich. You know, it's something I call the ostrich effect. Like just because you stick your hand, your head in the sand and, you know, force yourself to not be aware or consciously aware of the destruction, the impact that's going on around you doesn't mean that it's not happening, right? Like pull your head out of the sand and make a difference. It's like, I'm making phases at you. It's funny, like, because it's audio, audio. I'm like making it like, you know, what's <laughs> the problem with, you know, the same thing, like what you described or what we were talking about, double down on the ambient, like going through the motions, being asleep, you're alive, you're going through the motions, but you're sleepwalking. You know, it's the ostrich effect. Like, just because people are saying, I'm sure you've heard of this, the uh, the world is flat, like that real Oh, people are kind of, it's like a trendy thing now. It's like, you know, I guess you could stick your head in the sand and hear that the world is flat and have no, not educate yourself on physics, not educate yourself on documented science and live your life with a head in the sand. I mean, you could do that. You could totally do that. But why would you want to do that? I don't know. I don't get that. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. How would you describe, what is the feeling that you have having made the shift? Is it accomplishment? Is it pride? Is it... uh... That's a great question. You know, like I think at first it feels better and then it just becomes something that you do and you stand for, right? So like it feels really good when you do it and Mm -hmm. you realize like, hey, I made this shift. Like that's awesome. And then reflecting back is also really good. Cause you know, five years out, it's like, man, like think about how many plastic water bottles, like we prevented from going into the ocean or the, the waste dump or, you know, how many plastic bags, like, you know, what kind of impact is that, you know, just to postulate that, like, Oh, that kind of feels good. But I think more importantly, the good feelings that happen on a day to day is that this becomes a principle that you live by. It becomes something that you stand for. And I think that's probably the greatest feeling of all, you know, I think leadership, and I would love to get your opinion on this. Like leadership is about just doing something, not so much about boasting about it, right? Like conversations are going to happen. You know, people ask me about being a Paralympian and what's that like and what does it take and this, that, and the other thing. But I became a Paralympian because I decided to. I became a Paralympian not for the acknowledgement. I did it for myself. It's the same thing with the bags, like I'm, I'm now that I'm consciously aware, like it's something I stand for. And it's easy to stand for that. It's easy to stand for something so pure because it's just the right thing to do. It becomes easy. And it's almost like as big as it is, it's not that big of a deal. It's, no. I mean, yeah, for me, like burpees, the more that I do, the more it's like brushing my teeth. I'm not proud that I brush my teeth. I just do it. Right. Although actually I should say another big piece of it is that I know that the world is filled with people who don't brush their teeth. There's lots of people who don't brush their teeth, but they're not a part of my life. I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm not saying they're good people. I'm just saying that we don't match. And when I get together with people who brush their teeth, I'm not like, Hey, toothbrusher, how you doing? I was like, yeah, we match on this area that our teeth are clean. And same with burpees. Like, am I Schwarzenegger in his prime? No, not even close. But I'm with people who take care of their bodies in the same way. And it's a part of my identity. And then therefore it becomes part of my community. And do I know a lot of people who don't do burpees? Yeah, burpees are harder than brushing teeth. But increasingly, it's more like something I can connect with people on. And and I like connecting with people on it. Which, by the way, the thing in the airport, if you're doing burpees every day, (laughs) which you can always do in your hotel room and stuff, but then you wouldn't have gone three days without. Oh, Totally. You know, and I don't even think at that time I knew what a burpee was, you know, even resistance bands, like the resistance bands were new to me, but no, you're, but you're right though. Like if it was an ingrained habit, then I would have probably just done it. And so just do it. Yeah. That's the interesting thing. Right. So that was like, I think this is a crucial point because I decided to become a Paralympian 
after the track season was over in 2010. So I had these months of cognitive buildup, mental buildup and preparation for the track season to start. And in January of 2011, I would get up at 4.30 on Saturdays and I would take the 5 a.m. bus 100 miles to the nearest Paralympic track team practice. I'd get on the bus at noon. I'd come home and I would step inside my house just before 3 p.m. It's 10 hours of work, 10 hours of investment for two hours of practice. And here we are, February, March, April, four solid months later, and I slipped. You know, I slipped. That was just Saturday. Like every other day was 100% focus, like training, nutrition, recovery, meditation, visualization, everything was focused on becoming a Paralympian. And then we get life happens. We get excited about something. We shiny object syndrome. For me, it was a marketing conference. And for three days, I let the big goal, the big missions slip. And thankfully, I wasn't uh, too cost averse of social breaking a social norm or being embarrassed or caring about what other people thought that I got it in. But you know, four months of work slipped, I slipped. And so that's going to happen until it becomes just so ingrained, like just so like when you're like, you know, how long do you think it was for you before it was just like, it became like brushing your teeth? Oh yeah. It's still, I say it's like that, but it's becoming like that. And, oh, you know what? One time I was in Shanghai and I remember I, something happened. I was in bed and maybe I woke up, maybe I like overslept or something, but I got up and I knew I was supposed to call someone and I was late to call a person. It was very important. I had a rule then until it stuck. I had this rule, which is no computer, no nothing until I do my burpees. It had to be the first thing I do in the morning. So I like, I'm lying in bed and suddenly I go, oh my God. And I jump out of bed and grab the phone, then put it down and did the burpees and then called. Wow. And I realized that it was like, put the phone down without thinking about it. I was like, oops. Purpose first. And that was pretty cool. That is cool. I mean, it's, it's like the Sidchas is like, it's a nonstop. Everything you learn about yourself, there's more. Lately, it's been paying attention to impulses. And now my goal is, I don't know about you, but before I do a set of burpees, I stand there and I like, wait, like, all right, now I'm going to go. It used to be sometimes I'd stand there for like 10 minutes before I could start my burpees just because I was like, go, go, but it's hard. <laughs> Probably. And now I'm, I'm doing it faster and faster. Like I want to make it so that like no wait, I just go and do it. And I guess maybe at some point I'll probably just do it. But well, sometimes when we wake up in the morning, we just don't feel that good. Right. And so one of the strategies that I've been incorporating, because I used to be so good about the morning, like I would get up and, you know, just like, boom, I hit the ground running. I go, I drink my 24 ounces of water thereabouts. And then I get about, you know, and I start making my coffee and then, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm working out and, you know, I'm just like, boom, boom, boom. But, you know, some days I don't feel like that. And it was like, you know, maybe I lost a little motivation or something. And so it's like, well, what can I do? So I've got my phone like on airplane mode, right? And it's by my bed. And uh, I don't know when I'm going to wake up and feel like that. I don't intend to do that, but sometimes it happens. And so what's been helping me lately, this year I started doing this, is when I feel like that, I put my earbuds in, I turn up the volume, put on the music, and I listen to like like this morning the first song was eye of the tiger uh-huh. you know and then like so what happens like inside of four minutes that song was just over four minutes like i had my water and i'm already starting to make my coffee you know so what is it for you that and i'm asking the audience like what is it for you that really gets you moving you know for me i resonate really strongly with music you might really resonate strongly with you know whatever with dance or yoga or you know, whatever that really motivates you and gets you going, you know, make sure that you got that at your disposal so that when you feel like crap, you can have something to get you going. Are you a meditator? Yes, in my way. Because I have several SID showers. You know, I have the cold showers, I have the burpees, I have the writing on the blog, and I have the picking up a piece of trash every day. So the meditation, I've done the Vipassana a couple times. So I've done two 10 days of no reading, no writing, no talking, no nothing, just straight meditation. And then I've done another five day and another three day and a couple one days of that. And so I do, I kind of binge on my meditation. And I know a lot of people say you should do it daily. You know, better you do it, you know, 20 minutes every day than an hour or like, 
But I find that the daily habits, the Sidcha stuff gets me some of the daily stuff. Because I've done meditation enough daily that I know, I think I know what, what I'm trading up and what I'm trading for. So yes, I've meditated hundreds and hundreds of hours, but in blocks. And I think that the value of doing something every day, you also get doing other things every day. So there's a long answer. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, I call myself a meditator and I go through the reason I'm saying this is, you know, it's kind of a tangential to this whole behavior change thing where, you know, like I used to meditate before going to bed and I would meditate when I'd wake up and I would just do that every day. And it was amazing. It was profound. Like what would happen to me in like doing that for like 60 to 90 days, like 90 days, like it is crazy. Like excuse me, everything in the universe is just coming to me. It's like everything that I want to happen is happening. I feel really great about myself. I have like very few days where I feel like crap when I wake up, just like awesome. Mm -hmm. And then because of that, everything's working out for me. Like I get busy and I forget to do it. Or or it's more, it's not more that I forget to do it. It's like, I think like, oh, I should meditate. But it's like, I got so much stuff to do today. And like, we forget the basic things like bringing the bags with us. Just start to use the bags, getting that reusable water bottle. Like those little things are what make the big things happen. People say like, oh, like what are your advanced tips? What's your techniques for success faster, achieving success faster, more success quickly? It's like no one really likes to hear that it's about the basics. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when you make those, like for you, the sitches, you know, when you make those things non-negotiable, it's crazy how much stuff you get done. Like I'm mind blown by what you've been able to achieve in such a short time. Like it's mind blowing. And, you know, I admire that greatly. And so I try to incorporate that, those basic principles, like what are the situations for me? And when I stay on top of those, great things happen. It really is like something very similar happened to me in physics or math. Where was it? It was some class. No, no, no. I was in business school and the professor was talking about you know, is one of the uh, more mathematical subjects. And the student says, okay, what's the intuition behind this? I'm like, the intuition is what you get when you do the problem so many times from so many different perspectives that you figure it out. Like, there's no shortcut to the intuition. If you could just get the intuition, no one would teach, you know, you just do the intuition. Like I read for Inc. And there's so many articles that are like, Navy SEALs teaches this, Navy SEALs, Navy SEALs, Navy SEALs. I'm like, Navy SEAL training, I haven't done it. I hear it's kind of hard. Why don't they just give Navy SEALs a bunch of ink articles? If the value that these articles are purporting to give could come from reading an article, the SEALs wouldn't do so much training. Right. There's a reason why they do all that training. And if you want to get, no, okay. If you want to go capture Osama bin Laden, you got to do some serious training. Yeah. Most people, if you just want success in business, that's not necessarily, you know, you know the more you put in, the more you're going to get out, but you don't have to put in you can have a really great life without being at the business level that's the equivalent of being able to capture Osama bin Laden. So you don't need full-on SEAL training, but at least something, not reading a bunch of articles about it. I read these articles, I'm like, oh my God, this is like, it's like candy. It feels good in the moment and what's it, it hasn't gotten you anything. Well, so unless you're a retired Navy SEAL, no Navy SEAL is writing those articles because they're busy doing the work. You know, yeah, and the people who are reading it are just like, oh, now I get it. And like, no, you don't get it. You don't get it. I'm not saying I got it. I got something. I might not have that, but I know enough that reading that article didn't give it to you. Right. And doing it is awesome. I mean, whatever you put in, you're going to get back out. There right. are certain things. There are a lot of things that you, whatever you put in, you're not necessarily going to get out. But developing yourself and that sort of thing, living by your values, it's going to work out that way. Totally. You know, when I forget how far they are, it's less than 90 feet. I want to say it's like 80 feet or something like a pitcher in major league, like throws a five ounce ball that's, you know, fits it's, you know, many large men can grab their whole hand around this little thing they call the baseball and guys standing like 80 feet away are able to hit this little ball with a stick that's no wider than the ball. And when the ball's traveling at a hundred miles an hour and they literally have no time to react to it. You, you have no time, hundred miles an hour, boom, that thing is there. And so it's like, how, how does someone hit the ball, let alone hit a home run? And it's through intuition, right? Like they've seen that ball come out of that, a pitcher's hand millions of times. 
And through putting in the reps, they know that that ball is probably instinctively. They don't even think about it. They just swing where they intuitively know where the ball is going to come. So how do they intuitively know? Well, it's the million pitches that they swung at before that one pitch. I want to ask you, getting back to the bags, I mean, we talked about awareness and practice. Yep, yep, yep. So for people who have not gotten into this mindset of the struggle is what gets you the glory, or I don't know how, what, what we're talking about. Is this a way to get, is this, I mean, there are different ways to get into it. You can decide to become an athlete. You can meditate or I don't know, but is doing something for the environment, is this an access point? Because I, is it like a universal access point for everyone? Because I feel like it's got activity in it. It's got challenge in it. It's got mindset shift in it. It's got empathy in it. Is it something that like, if you're sitting there listening to this, if someone's listening to this and thinking, I, but I'm not there yet. I got to do something to get there. Is this an access point for anyone? For Is it like a universal access point? I think it can be a universal access point because I think that everybody listening to this doesn't have the financial roadblocks to buying such inexpensive canvas bags, right? Uh, further, you know, as I'm learning from you, you know, based on our last conversation, pre and post call, you know, we we're talking about leadership and we're talking about motivations of people and, you know, so maybe when the conversation comes up and you're helping someone be consciously aware, well, first off, I hope that everybody listening to this right now is just like puts it on the grocery list because you can buy them at the grocery store to buy the canvas bags, right? Buy the bags. And then when the conversation comes up with the person that you, that asks you about them, you know, you probably have a good, you know, maybe you don't know anything about them then you just start talking about the bags and the environment. But what if you do know something about them, right? Like, you know, what moves them, you know, their motivations, then you can be, you can display leadership and influence and guide them to, to the decision, to them making the choice that falls in line with what, you know, with what you're trying to do. Right. So how can you lead them to take action? Like maybe they like, maybe if you're talking to someone who's like on, Instagram live or YouTube live. And then like they're every second they're posting on social media, you know, maybe you can speak to the fact that like, Hey, this is like a really good social cause. Like this is really inspiring. Uh, people want to hear about this. They want to know about this. And, you know, maybe you're the person to share it with them. I think this is a great opportunity for you to build your social brand. You know, if it's someone who is really concerned with, um, the environment, they probably already have the bag. So that's a mute point, but maybe it's a business person you know, and you can identify the convenience of having bags with you all the time, right? Like business people, business oriented mindsets are all about saving time. And so how can you place the bags? How can you position the bags as like a time saver? How can you position the bags as, as something that maybe either buys them time or makes what they're already doing better? Well, it's like, you know, have you ever had a heavy bag a heavy plastic bag. I know I have had a heavy plastic bag. Maybe it's you're carrying, you know, something in the bag, something heavy, like a gallon of milk or whatever. And it's digging into your hand. The bag. The bag. Yeah. I never feel that with a canvas bag. Oh, it's more sturdy. Yeah. Well, and it's got the wider handle. And, you know, like the plastic bag, it kind of like rolls together. And then it like has this like wire thing. And all that weight is like pulling through your fingers. And it kind of hurts. Like you're holding it for a while. You're walking down the street or whatever. You're holding this bag. You don't feel that with the canvas bag. You know, that's why I use canvas bags. You know, how can you position the bag to be something that where it's like, oh, it's like not only is it helping the environment, but it's convenient. It's nicer. It's more comfortable. It saves me time. You know, an opportunity to increase your brand, your identity. Oh, and by the way, it's also helping out the environment. Yeah. The environment is like the side effect. Right. I mean, it's what starts it. It's what gets from, in my case, it's what got me thinking. But ultimately, you know, food was one of my biggest things of cooking my own food, you know, not getting packaged food. And it started with the environment, but it ultimately it becomes about values and integrity and, and things like that. To me, it is, it's an access point. Like what, one of the things that got me going into doing this podcast was that this access point, I think, is virtually universal. I know that there are people out there who are, they think, well, you know, the environment's getting all messed up and there's nothing we can do about it. So the best thing we can do is just enjoy life as much as we can. Now, you're nodding your head no, because I feel like you do. Like, that's not how I feel. I know that there are people out there who feel that way. I'm not trying, this podcast is not for them. I mean, maybe I hope some of them listen and change their perspective, not because I want to change them, but just because I hope, you know, because that's not the way I feel. But this is for people who feel like 
I do want to do something and I haven't been able to come up with anything or I haven't been able to do it. I haven't been able to act on it. And I hope that when they act on it, they realize that what they've held themselves back from is far greater than they ever expected. And that benefit of all the stuff that we're talking about, of that feeling and, you know, and eventually, yes, it will become just not that big of a deal. You're not that proud of brushing. It's not like you're like, wow, those teeth, I really brushed them tonight. Nor will you be like, wow, I really, you know, cleaned them, something up. You'll just be like, yeah, I, of course, that's what I do. Like now that I pick up a piece of trash every day, it's, I notice more trash. You could say that makes my life worse because it means that I'm perceiving more garbage around the world, but I'm just perceiving it. Like you said, I'm becoming more aware of it, but that doesn't make it, not being aware of it just makes me not see it. It doesn't make it cleaner. Well, I mean, and I mean, there's a lot of science too behind that. Like, you know, you start looking for a car, you want to buy a car, and then you're going to start seeing more of those cars. And it's more that like, there's so much information that's coming through our eyes, our brain can only process so much. And so when we have an awareness on something, or we become aware of something, then we're going to see it more because our brain is more attuned or focused to that frequency. You know, there's, it's filtering out other information instead. But I like, I, you know, the analogy that came to my mind when you were saying that is like, oh, like the earth can't like repair itself. It's like, uh, no, like it's just like the human body, right? Like there's right now the world has got a broken leg, you know, and we're limping along and we're limping along and we're limping along. And unless we get the cast on that leg and we take time to fix the issue at hand, the other leg's going to go out and then the hip's going to go out and then we're going to be crawling and then we're going to blow out our shoulders and our arms. The planet's going to blow out its shoulders and its arms from dragging itself across, you know, dragging itself from day to day. And then we're just going to be crippled. We're going to be in the fetal position. The planet's going to be in the fetal position, crying for help, broken legs and hips and shoulders and arms. And then what are we going to do? We could still turn it around if we just decide to do it. You know, the body is so amazing in healing itself. And I know that the planet is too. But We've got to give it what it needs to do that. And giving it what it needs is by stop burdening it with all <laughs> yeah. the crap that we're throwing at it. All right. So now what's next? So now you're in this mindset and you're like, you're aware you've done some action in me asking you what's next. Is that the first you're thinking about what's next or have you already started thinking about what's next? No, I have started thinking about what's next. So, you know, we're not that far away from buying a new vehicle. I was kind of hoping that the next time we would buy a new vehicle, that it would be an autonomous vehicle. You know, I also like, I love- Oh, then you could drive. (laughs) You could be in the driver's seat. That's right. And I was thinking that that would probably be like a Tesla Uh uh, or some other type of electric vehicle. So all that to say is that whether or not the next car is going to be autonomous is that I want to buy my next car to- you know, when I say my car, my wife's car, is to be an electric vehicle or, you know, something that is reducing carbon emissions, right? Because as you educated me earlier on this phone call, it's like I was thinking, you know, I was confusing the two between pollution and waste and carbon emissions, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what else can I do? So that's one thing, you know, using a vehicle that uses renewable energy, you know, Two is I haven't gotten to the point where you are yet with uh, food, which I think is awesome. But I don't know if you were aware of that billion-dollar investment, or excuse me, I think it was a $100 billion investment in the indoor vertical gardens. I've seen some of those in the news. They're doing some of that stuff in Brooklyn. And there's, yeah, I know some of these things. I think there's multiple companies doing this. Yeah. And so, which I think is fantastic. Because it's how we can stop. Um, I think that we can disperse. We can start growing. One is is the emissions that eating so many animal uh, based foods. Like I'm not uh, so on board yet, where I'm like cutting out my steak or my chicken or my fish. But you know, I love the idea of having you know more vegetables in my diet, and you know, going to a more balanced. I am like almost carnivorous. <laughs> Uh-huh. right now and after we had the conversation uh-huh. our original like when you came on my podcast i was inspired i was like oh man i want to start eating more vegetables i want to start eating less meat what else can i do right and so if i think for me the one of the steps too is just to keep continuing having the conversation to keep talking about it with my wife to keep talking about it with my community my property manager the lady 
who here at my property got the recycling bin program started. Like when we moved here, there were no recycling bins. And now the recycling bins are filling up faster than the garbage. That's huge. Yeah. You know, so is to keep having the conversation. I think, you know, that I'll become more inspired. And, and then, so here we are again, we're at the crux of the, the problem that we started out with at the beginning, which is that I'm not that aware. I have like this idea that I want to be a better person by helping the environment with my behaviors and my habits, but I'm not aware of what behaviors that I'm doing that are negatively impacting the environment or more pointedly, what behavior changes can I do? What products can I stand for? What lifestyle changes can I stand for that are going to support me in my longevity and my ability to function at a high level while also supporting the earth at functioning at a high level? I don't know. I'm on the fringe, I guess. But I think having that conversation is something that I need to have because I want to do this. It doesn't seem difficult to do anything when you want to do it. Yeah, I always used to say when it doesn't feel like homework when the teacher assigns you a book to read that you wanted to read anyway. That's right. (laughs) I love how you're using the community. What's a challenge for a lot of people is people are going to think I'm weird or people can be a problem. But you're saying now the community is something that you would use. It's your communication with others of establishing yourself in this new identity, if identity is the right way to put it, and using them to help you further your transition. Exactly what people see as the problem or what is a problem for a lot of people you're using as an aid. Totally. And, you know, the more that you talk about it, the more it becomes normal, right? And you and I both know, I mean, I can only imagine for you, but you and I both know, you know, the trolls along the way, the people that said, oh, that's so stupid. Like, it doesn't matter anyway, this, that, and the other thing. I can't tell you how many people didn't believe I was going to be a Paralympian. They're like, why do you do that? I don't get it. And there are going to be those people and that can make you feel really stupid or shameful or embarrassed or whatever. But more important is what you stand for. I wish that as humans that we weren't so sensitive to what other people thought, you know, why are we so afraid of that? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question, but yes, using the community around you to help support you, many shoulders make light work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, so the more that you have the conversation, the more that you get your neighbors involved, the more that you show them what you're doing, the more people that are going to get on board. And then you have a community of support rather than you feeling isolated in a community that you're not making progress with. I want to wrap it up there. I mean, it's been a long conversation, although it doesn't feel like a long conversation, at least for me. I don't know how it is for the listeners. Maybe they're like, these guys are rambling on and on. <laughs> two questions, two things to wrap up. One is there anything that I didn't think to bring up that's worth bringing up? And two, should we have a third conversation? Well, I always love having conversations with you, Josh. So yes, for number two. One, you know, I don't know. I mean, like we've literally talked about like, you know, becoming aware why we're doing it, that it's the principles by which we stand for, how to get the community behind you, you know, just deciding to not be ashamed or fearful or embarrassed about the, you know, breaking social norms. You're going to feel embarrassed the first few times, but then with repetitions, you get over that. I mean, we talked about the difference between, you know, waste and greenhouse and greenhouse emissions, talking about positioning, the behaviors that you're making and why that it's good. You know, I think we, at least for right now, I think we covered a lot. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it. And so I want to clarify for the next conversation. Yeah. You and I are going to talk, I mean, to record and capture the next stage of what comes next. Well, you know, like I'm a dreamer and a big thinker. And so like when you were saying that right now, like I was immediately thinking like, what about where people go? What if I can reach out to the grocery store that is right by me? It's a Sprouts and begin to initiate. And if anybody else likes this idea, please, please take it up on yourself like a challenge for me to you that to reach out to your local grocer or your local market, and ask them about starting up a program where each time someone checks out that the register, the cash register person, the uh, the checker, ask the person if they would like to use canvas bags, reusable bags, and sell them, or at least make them aware, 
right? Like, hey, like, just so you know, we've got these canvas bags. We're really trying to make an impact on minimize the impact that plastics have on the environment. Would you like to join us in this mission? And they're like, yeah, I want to, you know, it's like, great. Like you can get 10, you know, 10 canvas bags right now for this. I can just add it to your thing and you can pick up, you know, I can add it to the ticket right now, just like they do like, oh, donate a dollar, donate this. You know, I can add it to your, your bill right now and you can pick them up in customer service. So that was just inspired through something that you said right now. So I'm going to commit that before our third talk that I am going to go to Sprouts. And also there's a Trader Joe's nearby. So I'm going to go there too. Double down (laughs) and ask them if they'd be interested in participating. So I got to add to that, that if they have canvas bags at home, not to get new canvas bags, but to use the ones that they already have. Yes. Because I happen to live in a big apartment building and in the recycling area downstairs, there's basically an infinite supply of plastic bags because people are always throwing this down there and you can tell if something has not been used, you know? So I happen to use plastic bags because they are, I'm getting them from the recycling. Yes. And so it's before reusing, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle. So reducing consumption, I think is a priority over reusing something. Because I know that there's a lot of people, I know people who get reusable coffee mugs over and over and over again. I don't know what happens to their old mugs, but they're constantly getting new ones. I'm like, what happened to the old one? They're like, I don't know. I lost it. I'm like, you're actually using more than you would if you're treating a big metal container as disposable. You're actually, I think you're wasting more than if you just wait. If you're disposing of it, you might as well dispose of the plastic. So yeah, you're missing, you're missing stop it. treating it as disposable you got to keep track of these things. So that is like the caveat that I feel like is important to put in front. Like if you have canvas bags, don't get new ones, use the old ones. Use them. Yeah. And if you have access to, and in my case, it's plastic bags. Cause I don't know how fast my building fills up this stuff downstairs is insanity. Okay. So that's your thing. So should we schedule another one? When are you going to be in New York city? Dude, I need to get to New York City. I was uh, planning on being out there for uh, getting a guide dog, as you know, and in Yorktown Heights at uh, Guiding Eyes. But Fidelco, another guide dog school, came through. And so I'm getting my guide dog actually October of 15th. They're going to be here. So I'm going to have to just make a trip out there for a random reason to see you. Okay. I thought it was around now and that could have been a time we could do a recording in person. So when's a good time? How long does it take for you to do the, to make the interaction with the, the stores? Let's see. I'm thinking, um, let's do, can we do three weeks? Three weeks. Okay. So that's September 22nd. Yep. So same time, same time, same place. Okay, cool. So that's going to be right after my second conversation with the science curator for Ted, David Biello. Nice. I'm going to get to hear. Yeah. Well, we'll see how that turns out to a TED Talk, but he's also got his personal challenge too. That's so cool. I've got my first TEDx talk on the 10th, so that's awesome. Oh, cool. So I'm going to hear about that. Yes, we, all, we all want to hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so grateful that you, you, know, you had me on one for the first time, two for the follow-up, and look, we're creating more awesomeness on the third time because this is what happens when you have the conversation and you challenge each other to do things. Yeah, this is why I made this. Is I think that there's going to be a lot of conversations like this. There's also conversations where people, I had one guy, it's like, woke up the next day. I was like, I'm not doing this. And oh, really? Yeah. And so it's, wow. there's different people doing, it, everything means that different things for different people. And as if I'm going to learn, I'm coming to this thinking, you know, I wrote a book on leadership. I teach courses on leadership that the students really love. And I got a lot going for me, but you know, I'm not like Dwight Eisenhower here. I, I, there's a lot of stuff I don't know. And so I'm learning a lot of things. Jeez, I would love to hear the backstory on that. I'll keep it as a teaser. It's, it'll be Chase. So now is your motivation to listen to another episode and get another download by the, after this is launched and help me boost up the ratings. You know it, brother. <laughs> All right. So you're going to get the, the calendar invitation right after we hang out. And part of what I'm doing, I forget if I told, if, if you're one of the people I've gotten to yet, but I'm like starting the conversation as soon as we connect and then ending it so that everyone gets to hear everything. So it's my Spodek technique of no before and after secret talk that the audience doesn't get to hear. Oh, man, because I was so going to talk to you about uh, some leadership stuff. I wanted to share with you what I had decided on doing. So, Well, but, I, uh, I'm also really curious about the baseball stuff that we talked about before right. the previous conversation. Let's make that another call because I want to be true to the listeners. Yes. And then, um, but let's talk in like a week on, on that. 
Okay. All right, cool. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being open about what's worked and what hasn't and how things have changed and not just superficial talk about really what's going on. Oh man, you know, honesty is the best policy and uh, opening up and being vulnerable, you know, regardless of whether it's good or bad or indifferent, that's something I stand for. Oh man, that's a whole other conversation that we'll have to get into another time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Great talking to you as always. Looking forward to next time. Love you, man. Bye. Bye. Tanner's attitude, his perspective on the conversation and the challenges that he did are my favorite part, more than the details and the facts of specifically what he did. A few points that he brought up, those little things are what make big things happen. That attention to detail, if you want big changes to happen, you got to start with the little ones. But when you do, put the attention to detail in those little things. Also, using your community, I've talked about that with several guests, that usually other people are one of the big challenges. But if you look at other people as resources to help you, that you can help each other, they become allies. They become helping you make things happen. Another thing he talked about is that when you make things non-negotiable with yourself, it's amazing what you can get done. He values doing the work, but it's also not work when you're enjoying it the whole time. So if you're out there thinking, I want to do something like him, I want to take on a challenge, but I'm not sure, acting on your values, if you care about the environment, can give you what he has. You don't have to go blind first. And also, when you do something, it becomes automatic and you keep finding more. Every time he did something or every time he's doing something, because he's still going, he finds the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, making them all his along the way. So I'm really looking forward to hearing his next challenge's results. So tune in again next time with Tanner. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse. And living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.